Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new so uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Load up, X, Jackson Jacks. That's him out. Matt Byrne on the board. SB Futures up 550. SB Futures up 49. We were down last night, but we've come back this morning. Uh, individual stocks making a move at this hour. Not very much. We've got uh, Microsoft up a buck 28. We've got uh, uh, Apple up 49 cents. Like I said, nothing, nothing much. But the Dow is like pretty much unchanged. We have uh, Twitter is up a bunch here. Let me show exactly how much because uh, Elon Musk. It seems to be like he's got nothing but energy, and he's always saying something to kind of. Mets, messes with the market. Uh, Twitter's up like nine percent this morning because he took a big stake in Twitter. Now I don't know if it's him or the firm, and uh, I don't. You know, it's, do we have Mr. Uh, Greg? I'm here, Chief. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm just. Uh, it seems like you know when when how can I how can I phrase this so I don't sound like uh, some nathead? Which maybe I'll, maybe I will anyway. Uh, it seems to me that when people get money, in my opinion, that they don't deserve. Now, when I say don't deserve, it's not like these people aren't brilliant and they run companies and they do stuff I wish I would have done. But I don't think that he needs, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of credits that he sells to other places. The only real profit in Tesla since day one, I'm not exactly sure of these numbers, has been him selling... um, uh, what do we call it? Carbon credits to the other automakers. It's like the people who uh, took their money offshore for twenty years, didn't pay any income tax, and now they're, you know, now they're uh, they think they're Solomon or something. You know, and they're buying other so companies. You know, Elon, I believe uh, the people online were telling him to buy Twitter yeah. outright. <laughs> yeah, and and the other side of the car company argument would be, oh, they're just a battery company. They do energy and energy storage. Right. So, I mean, this idea that, I mean, the reason why he has all this dough is because of these carbon credits. Not that he isn't a brilliant man. He is. But, I mean, uh, the guy loves to trade his stock, essentially. And we're talking about somebody because there's a a more, we we, we hear this this tie tie together, Greg. Uh, There is a bill in front of uh, Congress that Republicans are putting forward a uh, package of new laws to aid small business and retail investors. Well, part of the bill makes it harder and harder 
for for people from the outside, like shareholders, people of, with a st- stakeholders, they call them, to actually put something up before these corporate boards. Now, I'm yeah. going to say Elon Musk. Yeah, that's par for the course, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Wouldn't but you it, expect it <laughs> the bigger to get bigger? So Elon, Elon Musk last year had to sell, you know, how many billion dollars worth of stock to pay a tax bill, right? Because the, the stock came to him as ordinary income, and you have to, you have to, at some point, I, mean, I don't know the vagaries of the tax law, but he had a... Yeah, so had, the strategy is get Liz Warren to yell at you on Twitter and sell stock that you would already have had to sold yeah. or have sold, and then look good doing it and uh, pay the biggest tax bill in history or whatever he... He did it. What was it? Ten billion. Yeah, but at the end of the the day, the board gave him so much more stock. He now has more stock options than he had before he sold all that stuff. Right. So at some point, they knew all of this going in, and they just used it as marketing. But but the the idea is these carbon credits. Why why does why do they get to sell this stuff? The same reason the defense contractors get the contracts. It's just you. We picked you. You're going to do it, and if we want anything, we're going to come back to you in the future. Well, if somebody were to take—I don't know if you listened on Friday—but Carl has been kind of going. You know, it, it, Carl is a—I believe he's an engineer. That doesn't mean to make him a genius, but he studies all this stuff. And, and when you when you look at the electric cars, I mean, everybody is so agog over less carbon footprint, less this, less that. I think if you go from the from the day one, and you look at what it takes to build these batteries and all these other things, and where you have to go to get the nickel and the cadmium and everything, I'm going to say that I, I'm not at all sure. I'm, I'm not going to make a statement because I'm not a professor, but I'm not, I'm not at all sure that at the end of the day, those things are more en- environmentally unsound than a regular car. Oh, for sure. Up to now, when when you have to get the rare earth metals and acid bath, you know, uh, tons and tons and uh, acres of just land for these rare earth mineral or minerals just to put in the battery and then how you dispose of them on the back end everything like that is a nightmare for the environment yeah but uh they claim that the economies of scale and the pickups in battery technology will will take say the car from say 300 miles per charge to 500 600 and at that point you know we're we're fine um, and you know, and, and maybe they're right. I hope they are. Yeah, who knows? I mean, that's. <laughs> but all we really know is that the wrong. is that the environmental challenge is not in this country, so nobody cares. It's in Russia or yeah, other places. Up to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure we have a bunch here too, but we I've, just don't. I think have the we uh, capital to spend. I think we ex- I think we export it to China for processing because the processing is so dirty. Yeah. I, I was, happy to have the business. Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I uh, anyway, I just it seems like these guys become pontificators, like like Jamie Dimon, smart man. Okay, how how can you possibly not be a gazillionaire being at the top of one of these banks to get everything from the Fed? The Fed's biggest paranoia is not you and me going broke. It's one of these banks having a problem because that's their guys, and the the, the more highly cap, capitalized the banks are, that's good for society because the. The Fed will never seem Did like they ever right. roll back the. I, I remember what was it in two thousand nine when they increased or doubled the uh, FDIC guarantee. Did they roll that back or what? Where's it at now? I, do you know? I think it's still two fifty. I'm not sure. I, boy, if somebody knows that, please, uh, please send that in. Yeah, text, text us. I think it's still two um, six two fifty. 
Man, why don't you see what that is? Why don't you look at the FDIC? I, I know the uh, we have the SIPIC is still two fifty. Yeah, so it would make sense in any type of you know crisis that everybody gets that back at least. Uh, one more thing. Well, you know, it's a. So you know, you you led me into this area. I was going to do a whole bunch of stuff about world wheat prices here this morning, which we still will do. But you you led me into this area of uh, the difference between, let's just say, how can I use this, macroeconomics and, and people economics. And uh, those are the same thing in my head. Uh, see, so, you know that, but that makes you uh, somebody who actually gives a crap about people. No, you're not supposed to do that if you're a policymaker. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> But it, I mean, if, if you went to, uh, if you were a denizen of the University of Chicago in a monetarist school and all the other stuff, when you, when you study the Great Depression, you ended up, uh, if, if you just were a professor, the definite, why, why there was a, a why, the, why we were allowed to go into depression was not because of the stock market crash. It was because the Fed allowed the money supply to drop 60% in two years or three years or whatever the hell it was. And, uh, so if they just would have not let that happen, you would have had, uh, you, you wouldn't have had a depression. You, you would have had a bad time, but it wouldn't have been near as bad. And maybe you wouldn't have had one at all. I mean, that's, that's, that was somewhat of the, the, uh, the everyman's definition if you were a monetarist. And I'm going to say that, yeah, that the monetarist had, they got to the same conclusion though, it, as Keynesian people, right? I mean, uh, that, no. you need the demand. Now, uh, well, Where does the demand come from is the the money. So, well, yeah, but if you let your money supply drop dramatically like that, it's a problem. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and and, and like I I bought into that for people would say what? Um, pretty much the same thing. It wasn't like it wasn't like the uh, they, they didn't define it that way, but it would the, it was uh, banks failing, and they, they looked at the individual events and more and more of the uh, stock market crash. I mean, the history of that area is really a lot different. Than what's painted in, in in a lot of the economic books and conclusions. The more you study it, um, but what, what I'm getting to, uh, Greg, is that if on a, on a macro scale, would do you ever want the money supply to drop that dramatically? And another another example of that was 2007, when you when your some of your money market funds started to break the buck. Right? You remember? You obviously you remember that. And uh, the yeah, re- right. yeah, and the reason why they we're going to break the buck is there where were withdrawals there and if you if you do statistics studies which I'm not so much from I mean somebody you might get somebody naive enough to say well gee everybody's got all this money in the bank and the bank doesn't have all that money right they've got loans outstanding and other stuff but statistically people will tell you that on any given day or any given week or any given given month the most anybody ever withdraws out of a bank is like what a tenth of one percent of all the all the stuff that's in the bank, or one percent at the most. I mean, I mean it's right. I mean, it's 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 ridiculously small amount of money. So there's really no reason for for Harris Bank to have you know forty million in cash sitting in the vault, right? I mean, there's, I mean, there's no reason right. for it. But um, the idea when we went to break, so the idea even your mutual funds that are supposed to be able you you'd able to access them like it, within a day, right? Mutual fund is it twenty four hours or something? Talk about money market mutual funds. As the the bottom twenty and thirty and forty percent probably are not. They might be six month T bills instead of one you know thirty day or ninety day or overnights, right? 
because there's a certain statistical number in which you're never nobody's ever going to come get the entire money market fund in one week, except people almost did that in 2007. So you were people trying to access money, and even though the the wealth was quote there, in order to access it, people had to go out and sell six month T bills for less than you know less than they were supposed to be because the market wasn't so good. So they they actually didn't have enough money in the in the money market fund to pay everybody off, correct? Isn't that what well, happened? Well, that was like the same thing in, in 87, right? Where right. they said, oh, well, we just can sell futures, except the futures are 10% lower now. Yeah. Well, well, that was, uh, you couldn't you couldn't short stacks. Portfolio insurance, yeah. No, you, was be- that was before you could, uh, you still had a, have an uptick to short stack. So, oh. so you couldn't, you couldn't just buy the futures and short the stacks and then even it up. So they were. So the new scam is the banks have uh, have the funds as digital. Just right. Well, now they want to go into this digital stuff. What's the story with that? I mean, well, let me back to my point about the the depression was, but it wasn't necessarily that, Greg. I mean, I don't know what generation your 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 group is there in this country, but um, it might be great grandma Pappas went to the bank, and, and all she ended up with was a bloody nose when the door hit her in the nose because they said, your $4,000 is no longer here, you're out. Yeah. You know, which is which is essentially yeah. what happened to people, right? So you, you basically ripped the savings out of people. It was a it was what I would consider a balance sheet recession slash depression rather than a normal business cycle recession is that, you know, a business goes too too much investment, things get too hot, all of a sudden things kind of collapse a little bit, Few people get laid off. Uh, businesses have to cut back for a while, and all of a sudden, there's people say, "All right, well, we'll uh, you know, there's more investment opportunities," and it, and it comes back again the other way, right? And that's a business. So your your, your grand, grandpa Pappas might have got laid off for four or five weeks, okay, in a recession, or maybe he went and did something else for a while. But then he got called back, or a company went from three shifts to two shifts. That kind of stuff is is what I would consider a business cycle recession. If your savings all of a sudden are gone, that's now a balance sheet recession, which is a lot different. That's what happened in 2007, where people put $40,000 down on a house at 250, and all of a sudden the house is worth 180. They lost their entire equity. That's a that's a whole different program than losing your job for two months and getting unemployment. It's not even the same planet. So, anyway, the economists, long story short, way too late. Uh, the uh, their idea was if we just would have put money back in the system, we'll be okay. The, the recession would not have happened. But my point now that I've learned more and gotten older, that, that's BS. And unless you went back and actually went to the banks where great-grandma Pappas lost her money and said, we're not only putting money back into the system, but we're going to have something like a SIPC in arrears, and we're going to at least give grandma Pappas her, her $2,000 back. That's the only that way. Was, that's yeah. like the FDIC insurance, but we've convoluted that process now into, right. from you know direct socialism. I guess that would be to letting the Fed get in the way or letting the Treasury market get in the way. Well, I'm saying that the Fed takes their job is we'll pour money in the system to save quote the big banks or whatever. But anybody who lost money along the way, uh, we're not going to we're not going to drop it down to them. Because really, my concern is with great grandma Pappas, I don't give a crap about the bank. 
You know, I mean, I, in other words, if you give the money to the bank, make sure you force it down to the person. Which doesn't really happen now. No, no, oh God, no. Yeah. I mean, so we yeah, have, at the end of 2007, of 2008, the, yeah. we, we have banks with 90 bazillion dollars, but that doesn't mean the people who lost money in their houses got any of that money back. All we did was sell them to other people. It's, it's a crazy world. I mean, obviously, but I, but, but you don't, you don't, and then we don't worry about those people. They're, they're just, they're just toast, right? I mean, <laughs> it's a, anyway. So let's, what is, what are you seeing on, uh, how, how, I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, we got, only got nine minutes here, but how do the, how does the world, like the Board of Trade, obviously, well not obviously, for those that don't know the history of it, it opened the same year that the INM Canal opened, right? The idea being that you, you need to have delivery to have futures. How do, how do real all Real things, not mortgage-backed securities. Right. You know, real things. How do all these other places operate? How does, how do you and I do a, a contract in, in grade five crude in, in Rotterdam? I mean, how, what forces that futures contract to, uh, to be, to match the physical and, and, and expiration, Dave? When, who the hell can, well, can, can deliver a, you know, a grade five crude contract that's that's kind of we're not there whether this america is not the uh center of the world really so we just have to deal with what the other countries prefer to use what's best for their uh refineries what's easiest for them you know kind of what they've what they've adapted to so we do it here with uh west texas and the other countries have specs and that works for them and we just kind of if we can if we can send our uh raw materials there you know we can deliver it's just not everything's on our terms well what when you uh because this gets nothing gets more actually fascinating and complicated than than pick uh i did a a barge tour (laughs) one time what was it neat greg uh they're talking about you know how the uh, delivering grain down the Mississippi, and it was it was the Illinois Agriculture Group. And uh, f- for those that don't know, there's like when we say the basis, when you, when corn is what, what's corn now? Nine bucks a bushel, something like that. Eight bucks. Uh, uh, I can tell you. Let's let's say say nine. July corn is seven thirty two right now. Okay, so it's seven thirty two, but it's it's seven thirty two somewhere <laughs> at, at, a, at a delivery point, correct? Uh, Correct. The ours, what we trade in the July delivery month. Right. So it's, but if, if you are uh, in, a, in a farm in a, you know in Will County, for instance, it's not seven thirty two at your doorstep. You got to get it someplace. And right. and uh, actually, you know what they said on the barge tour, uh, Greg? Is you you probably know this, but a few people they said uh, there's like what there's six or seven locks between here and New Orleans. Every every lock you go through is like a penny or two a bushel. So if you put it in after the last lock, if you if you drive your your grain after the last lock, your 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 corn's worth uh, maybe a dime more a bushel or fifteen cents than if you put it in here. Right. Now whether it's worth uh, a good gr- way to think about that is the cash price versus the futures price. Right. But the cash price is different wherever you happen to be, right? Because you're because you're your uh your how far you are away from a delivery point. And I guess what I'm saying with the, with this oil doing what it's doing all over the place. 
nothing seems to have a greater basis than it. Well, there probably are some things, but how do you? I mean, you're a, if you start drilling for oil in uh, Pennsylvania, you're one hell of a long way from Cushing, Oklahoma. I mean, how, how in God's name would you ever deliver there? I mean, is there, are, there, are there other delivery points? I mean, what, how do you how do you, how do you de- deliver a natural gas contract? I mean, uh, this stuff seems really it starts to get pretty esoteric, doesn't it? Here, it's all very highly regulated. Um, you can't, as an individual, do much of anything unless you're a uh, gas company, oil driller, or a, uh, say ten one of ten uh, traders in the entire U.S., say the big firms, have uh, deals that they can go there. But as an individual, it's real hard. So it starts there, and they don't even talk to you if you're not uh, if you're not approved to deliver and pick up from there. Well, if the system works well, you should never have to as an individual, right? The prices well, should just match up. The system, the system freezes up just like all other markets sometimes. Really? Or you get problems um, with deliveries that take longer. Same with grain. Um, transportation costs, whatever's going on in the railroads, uh, weather, all that kind of stuff influences the the prices and the transportation costs. Well, because uh, uh, Dan Janitas comes on once in a while, he comes on every Thursday, once in a while he talks about some of these... Uh, Smaller natural gas producers in the in the Pennsylvania, the north northeast, and, and there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot of smaller natural gas producers, and I'm going to say that uh, those guys uh, probably, Greg, they their basis is they're they're going to feed it right into Allegheny Power or somebody, and they're going to put some long term commitment on there, and they're going to say, uh, you know, we'll sell it to you. It looks like you know two cents of uh, whatever a BTU for which I'm just throwing names out of my numbers out of my head. And we'll have a 10-year contract, and we'll adjust to the futures price every quarter, a little bit here and a little bit there, and it, that's pretty much your deal, right? I mean, you're not, you're not selling it. Yeah, that's right. the ideal scenario for commodities. I mean, do you really want to be sending it to China? Do you really want to be sending Ukraine to, uh, uh, I don't know, Algeria? or do you, do you really want to be doing that? Not really, when you can just make the deal. That's why the uh, importer versus exporter numbers are, are so important. Um people who who have those deals set up locally. I mean, China imports a ton of food, for example, but they pr- also produce a ton of food. Same thing here. I mean, we we produce so much food that we have stuff to export, but we we also use our own food. It's it's just easier that way. Don't even have to deal with the the cost. Well, when we uh, we got a couple minutes here, Greg. Uh, when we when we uh, had had the big issue, well, we when Trump decided to do, do all the tariffs and all the other stuff and, and, and rattle China's cage. And by the way, I'm not saying he was wrong doing that. Everybody would think it would it would hurt like every soybean farmer, but it, but it really didn't. In Illinois, we have access to the uh, Illinois River and you in New Orleans, the IC. If you want to put it in covered hopper cars, uh, didn't affect you near as much as the northern soybean producers, which are a long way from. The Illinois River or the, or the or the Mississippi River, those guys pretty much send all theirs on trains right to Seattle and off to China, right? So that that whole um, group was impacted. Sometimes way you worse. go through the different step and what flags on the ship and where it goes before. So if you wanted to get around tariffs, you could send it somewhere else with a different flagship with a different you know port, and then make the agreement to send it from there. 
So it's just another step. It's not really, no, it's not. I love your your devious nature. You you must be your devious nature. I love it. (laughs) But but I'm saying, (laughs) by and large, though, but by and large, the the northern soybean farmers, that's those soybeans are pretty much directed to export. Where the ones in Illinois are a quick trip down to Mississippi to to uh, either processing places here or to New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, we've got how many people to feed? Three hundred and fifty million. Yeah. So, like, if we grow a whole bunch of corn and, and beans and wheat, it, some of that's going to stay here, and you better believe that they don't want to pay for all that transport and all yeah. that uh, fuel cost and uh, everything that goes along with ship exporting internationally. Well, thanks, Bud. We'll we'll talk at you more next week, if not sooner. Um, oh, SP, SP is up eight fifty. Nasdaq futures up sixty. You bullish or bearish? How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. 
Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, on one page, Stocks and Jacks, I'm Tom Howley. This is Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up 750. NASDAQ Futures up 54. Uh, we've got the Dow Futures only up 18. The Dow's in a mixed bag here this morning. we got Coleman Sachs down a buck. we got... Home Depot down 87 cents. JP Morgan down 91 cents. Uh, by the way, shopped at Home Depot yesterday. I paid six bucks for a 40 watt incandescent appliance bulb. Gee, inflation? You think, you think, Matt? What do you think? I think inflation? so. That sounds like it. Yeah, just, I mean, we're not talking about LED. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about a regular old bulb. How bad is that? <laughs> Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up five bucks. Call that flat. Puts you up 23.3%. Cack around up 10, call that 2.2%. Uh, on Friday, that was up 139, S&P up 15, NASDAQ up 40. So we had a positive, uh, you know, not not very much, moderately positive day on Friday, but positive for sure across the board. Uh, Asia, we've got the day, Nikkei up 70, quite here, 2.2%. Shanghai up, uh, actually, uh, these guys are closed today. Um, mainland China is closed today, so uh, um, Shanghai is closed. The Hang Seng, however, is up... Uh, 462, that's 2%. The uh, Chinese tech stocks, stocks are up. This whole fiasco, well, I'll talk about a little bit with Jan, with Baidu, with the SEC, where they're in, on again, off again, stock jumping up and down. Wow, I'd love to be a, I'd love to be one of the people in Congress listening to this and trading before it, just saying. 30-year uh, bond, 2.39, that's up one basis point. The one down seven basis points at 0.48. Japan unchanged at 0.21. It's got to be real boring uh, trading these Japan interest rates. They, like, never move. Uh, oil up 60 cents, 9.97, still slightly under 100. Brent up 53 cents, 104.92. Natural gas down 5 cents, 5.66. Our Bob up a penny, 3.16. I will have to report that I got some gas for the Suburban yesterday in Homer Glen. I paid 4.17, which is 17 cents cheaper than last week. So there's my gas report. Uh, gold up 10 bucks to 19.34. Silver up 18 cents, 24.84. Copper up three cents, four seventy-two. We got Bitcoin down three forty-seven, but still high, forty-six thousand one thirty-seven. Man, what do you ask for? Traveling weather, sports, Hawks lose yeah. yet again, and yet another bizarre way to lose. It's, yeah, it was very strange. Yeah, the the uh, let's get your st- first off. I mean, it's six thirty-five uh, a.m. April fourth, twenty twenty-two. Uh, yeah, that was the big news: the Coyotes at the Blackhawks. Coyotes win three to two. Uh, uh, in the NHL, Coyotes play again tonight at the St. Louis Blues. Uh, in the NBA, the Suns lose to Oklahoma City Thunder, 96 to 117. But the big, I guess, the big news of the weekend was the NCAA Final Four. Uh, yep. Villanova loses to Kansas, 81 to 65. They were outclassed. They and never had a chance. North Carolina beats Duke, 81 to 77. That final game between North Carolina and Kansas uh, tonight, 8:20 p.m. Central Time. It's all late. A little late, but you know what? I'm I'm more confused about the specific specificity of of those hours. They start 
odd time for a, for uh, at least in my opinion. Well, you get started eight. There's twenty minutes of BS. I uh, yeah, <laughs> that would explain it. Uh, in Chicago, uh, rainy morning. The sun's just starting to uh, pop out in the sky, uh, but expect that uh, cloudiness to be throughout the day. Uh, 44 degrees currently, high of 51, a low of 34. In Phoenix, partly cloudy, 64 degrees, a high of 87, and a low of 64. And Chief, you talk about fiasco uh, in stocks, uh, uh, fiasco in the streets today. Uh, insane traffic, traffic eastbound in Eisenhower between Wolf Road and First Avenue. It's caused by an accident, uh, but just before Fifth Avenue reported at 5:55 a.m. Uh, traffic west. Westbound in the Eisenhower between Western and Homan Avenue. Uh, that's also caused by an accident uh, before at Independence Boulevard. Uh, that was reported at 6.04 a.m. Uh, keep in mind the left two lanes are blocked. Traffic eastbound in the Kennedy between Lawrence and Harlem. Traffic eastbound in the Edens between Canalport Avenue and South Union Avenue. Traffic westbound in the Edens between Ramp at I-55 South to West Randolph. And finally, traffic northbound Stevenson between South Central Avenue and South Pulaski Road. Everyone's slipping all over the place. It's crazy out there. I turn back if I were you. Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, Johnny, are you with us? Uh, we're here, Tom. Good morning. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're safe at home and not out in traffic. Just saying. Yep. yep. I have to go out and get a car first, Tom. Well, that would you know. Well, you can always rent one. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you always go crack up a rental. Why not? You know. But, you know, you wouldn't be the first. I'm just, just saying. Uh, oh, yeah, I've had, I've had a couple scrapes with them, so yeah, run, them, run them often enough, you'll have trouble. Is, is the outfit rent or wreck? Are they still around? Yeah, I think so, although I don't, you know, I haven't done business with them lately. Oh, God. The, uh, I was going to say that be, I had some story to tell about the, 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 before Matt, but, uh, but I forgot it, so, uh, it'll, it'll pop back up. We'll, we'll, we'll think of it. Uh, the, uh, I mean, it, it the, the traffic uh, has always somewhat been like this, but I'll say this: the the, the total lack of any uh, policing on the on the roads is uh, I've never seen it quite like this. I mean, there's I drive the expressways every weekend as I'm out to Orland and back and so forth, and uh, you never see anybody. I mean, if you you don't see anybody go somebody didn't go by at 110 miles an hour, it's, you're not on the right road. I mean, it's it's like Mad Max out yeah, there. It's Mad Max, and and then of course there's never a policeman. As soon as somebody gets shot. Then of course they, then they close it, and there's 15 guys looking for for spent bullets. Where if there were 10 guys looking for the bullets before they were shot, maybe we'd do better. Just saying. So we had two guys over 80 years old shot this weekend. That's always pleasant. Uh, one right by my old hood, 52nd in Marshfield. Yeah, you were never you. That was a 72 year old woman who was shot on Broadway and Belmont last week. Just walking along with her family, visiting them, and you know, got shot in the thigh. Just. <laughs> Not hurting anybody, but again, we can't seem we don't we can't deal with this. We don't seem to know how to. We don't have the stomach to. We can't. Hey, John, I was reading something last night, and uh, well, I don't get this. <laughs> I keep getting inundated because I because I keep opening it up and reading it, so I probably should stop doing it. I get this um, um, core digest. I don't know. Everybody probably gets the damn thing, but most people's intelligent turn it off. But it's all these different questions people ask, and you know, you never. It's a lot of a lot about sports. I've learned more about baseball and, and arcane rules and crazy stuff that happens through this thing I ever had before. And uh, but the one from yesterday was an interesting comment regarding uh, one of the, the questions was, did Churchill get along with Truman? And uh, they said that well, Churchill originally thought that Truman was a lightweight, um, and he was you know because Roosevelt had been a world traveler, he was you know he was a one percenter for sure. And knew French and German, and uh, I mean Roosevelt was a brilliant man. Uh, 
and uh, by any stretch. And uh, Truman, you know, he was a he was a plow guy from Missouri, and it was a haberdasher, which he didn't do very well at. Then he ended up working his way up state jobs, and finally became a senator after he was something else. But there was one comment in there, John, that I, w- I w- couldn't wait to toss at you. They said, but he was a voracious reader, was a good writer, and it said it was a testament to how good the primary and secondary education was in this country in the in uh, the tens and twenties, nineteen tens and twenties, compared to now. That if you graduated high school, you had all these skills because you didn't get out without it. And I I know my uncles and my my mother same way. They were incredible readers. They all were tool and die makers. They they knew math. None of them. My mother's the only graduate high school. The rest of them didn't even do that. She was valedictorian. But the, the the difference is night and day, and those kinds of skills. Then today comes somebody coming out of high school. I, I think now they didn't know calculus. Maybe you do now. But I mean, I, I don't understand why we've we've backpedaled. Why why we've gone the wrong way on this? Assuming we have. I mean, I think we have. When you you're closer to the education thing than I am. I mean, it was, it was a pretty interesting comment. Where it said it was the testimony to how good I mean, how smart the man was only going to high school. And also, you know, the, the, you know, by standards, you know, you and I know a rural school system too. Yeah. So this was something that was, you know, it generally tended to be, um, you know, it's more scatter shot. You know, you could find different school superintendents and districts in in rural areas that some of them were, you know, very well run, some of them probably less so. But there was a system to monitor them and to, you know, enforce standards. And yeah, I, I would absolutely agree that, you know, if you came out of an American elementary school, public or private, um, you know more than people today do with you know, secondary school education. Absolutely. The, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I mean, it, it's fascinating to me that everybody's convinced how much more everybody knows today because of the internet, and I, I don't know if that's true at all. I mean, in a lot of ways it can be because you can access stuff quicker. Um, but anyway, I just. I well, you know, the, the first job my mother got, you know, when she was still in high school, um, she was a cashier at Carson Peary Scott downtown. And in those days, Carson's had no cashiers with cash in the store. You know, the, the cashiers were all locked in a cage in the basement. And the stuff was transmitted by a pneumatic tube. So, you know, really? I know over right off the transaction, put a $10 bill in there. And the cashiers down the basement made change and put the change back in there. And the stuff was coming in a mile a minute and no calculators. <laughs> you oh, no. had to make change. You had to add and subtract lickety split. And, and my mom says she just loved the job because you, you're always working and you're using your head. And, you know, there's a great sense of satisfaction in being able to add and subtract quickly and accurately. Um, so, you know, how many people coming out of PhD programs that they can add and subtract quickly. Well, it's it's a you know it's it's a it's a learned skill like anything else. It's practice. I, I hope to think that our, our people uh, can do that. My uh, nephew's uh, lovely bride is a math teacher, and she was telling me something about how in some districts there's a test you can take at some level where if you if you if you don't pass it now why you wouldn't want to pass it I don't know you're you're considered something, I won't say a dummy, but as, uh, you know, as Fred, Red Fox, what was his, uh, Sanford, Fred Sanford would say, you big dummy. If you're, if you're below grade, you get to use a calculator. 
instead of coming in on Saturday or after school and learning how to act. <laughs> you get to use a gun. I mean, what is that all about? <laughs> anyway. Oh, yes. Special pleading. You know, if it's the less competent you are, the more consideration you get. You know, I, I think it's the, the oil. <laughs> I, get, I think that's the drill. A, uh, a, uh, the, the city, um, you, you wonder, and I, I mean, we're going to have Nancy, uh, on later in the last half hour, so I don't want to pile into her, her area too much, huh? but, uh, we had a big breakfast over at Audrey's yesterday, and, uh, Nancy was one of the guests. We were talking about the different mortgage loans and what's happening and the refis and how the refis are pretty much dead is, so you can't, you can't come close to the mortgage now for under five. Uh, you know, they're, they're a little over five and how, and how she's had people in the last, you know, two, three weeks that would have qualified for a house three weeks ago and now don't. Um, just the difference in the few hundred dollars a month. And, uh, it's, it's becoming, a, it's a real surprise to people because people haven't seen this in a real long time. And how the housing prices, one of the guys I do business with for, uh, one of the groups and, Good buddy, and he's somewhere in Carolina. I don't know where, he, where the hell he was. The interesting part, John, is the kid goes out. Kid, he's way younger than us. He goes out to, to look at this house somewhere. I don't know. I think he's, is he in Charleston. So who, who the hell knows where he is? Somewhere in South Carolina. Nice area. It's on a river, so it's close to the ocean. Everybody's got their boats. They all fish, whatever. The houses are going way up. So he's looking at this house. He said it was pretty nice. And he goes, well, what's that out back? And the lady goes, well, that's, that's the gator pond. <laughs> he goes, Kids of New York. What, what do you mean a gator pond? Well, it's a gator pond. You mean you got like a gator out there? Oh, a couple. He goes, my wife and I are planning on having kids and I got a dog. I don't want a gator pond. <laughs> what do I want a gator pond? Well, everybody's got, the, the real estate person is acting like it's a positive. <laughs> really? Just, That's what lawyers call an attractive nuisance. Yeah. So anyway, he was telling me that, uh, in the last few weeks, Everybody, everybody, the houses that were left on the market, you couldn't touch a house. Everybody's got their house, you know, even, even with the high prices that they were going up, uh, they got the house for sale higher than, you know, even than they, they even thought they were going to get with the idea that they were going to get this bidding war and all this other kind of crap. And, uh, he said all of a sudden one person actually like had, had to sell her house and they, you know, they dropped the price like 50 grand in one day. This is like two weeks ago. And so all of a sudden these rates starting to go up. And somebody else did it, and somebody else did it. He goes, within like two weeks, the prices are racing down, not up. All it takes is one or two people. They all realize that these rates are not going to get that. Now somebody actually wants to sell it. They're just, I mean, let's say it might have been worth, you know, 375 to start with. Then it was 400 Then it was 450 as everybody else is buying this thing at any price. Well, now it's back to 400 back to 390 I'm not saying that's happening everywhere. He said, but in their little community, just, just the, just the run from three and a quarter percent to five and a quarter has caused that to happen. And people have figured out, hey, if I really want to sell this place, I better get real. Yet, in, in our areas here, I think some spots are still the bidding war going on. But now, like I said, the, anybody who has a pre-approved, approved mortgage, uh, from two months ago, it's probably not legit. Cause I'm not so sure if somebody gave you a price of three and a quarter, where are we? In, in uh, in April. In January, that letter's still any good, is it, Jan? No, no. And, you know, this shows the, the sensitivity of, of of pricing today compared to, say, 40 years ago, Tom. And remember when the housing prices, you know, were jacking up in the early 80s and the interest rates were exploding. 
and you know the property was still moving. You know, even with fifteen, sixteen percent interest rates. Yeah, but um, it wasn't moving the same price. They were creative financing, seller-assisted financing to go into a lot of these deals. But it isn't like the market shut down and couldn't adapt to that situation. Now it's 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 much more sensitive, and I think it's 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 impossible for you to overcome just a hair trigger difference in interest rates if your you know earning power is what it is, and it's given what prices are, you're you're just you're shut out of the market completely. That that wasn't the case forty years ago. Well, but there was all kinds of uh, they weren't shenanigans; they were they were regular deals. And yeah, they were, I'm not, yeah, that, that's the that's the wrong term for it. It was it was creative, it was totally legal, and it was what, what people did. So as to avoid having a market that was shutting down. Well, I, I think, uh, the hell did I do? When I sold my place, they didn't have enough of a down payment, so I lent them part of the down payment on a separate loan. I get my money, I get my money back right away. Yep, my aunt and uncle did that too, and, and uh, they weren't the only ones doing it too. And they waited a while to get the rest of their money, but, you know, they ran credit checks on the borrowers, they did everything that an institutional lender would do too, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you, when I you, mean, it did work. It, it, it didn't fail, and it didn't it deprive people of the freedom to buy and sell property. But. Well, that was before the uh, was the grandma, well, not grandma. Who's the Frank? That Todd, Dad Frank, where you got you got to check somebody's underwear out before you. Oh man, well, listen to Nasty on your show last week. Well, yeah, in plain paperwork, and just the, you know, the letter to verify the letter that you verified, you know, a, a week ago, but now you have to re-verify it. Well, I mean. I, Back in those days, they uh, they always said, "Look, if you're buying a place, bring, bring you know, bring a couple hundred bucks and a couple of Benjamins with you, in case something doesn't come out in the closing statement. Somebody made an error, and it's an extra fifty bucks. Just pay them. That's that's totally illegal now. You got to wire it to yep, them. Yep. Yep. But now, how insane is that? Completely insane. I mean, in places I worked for, we did closings all day long with refis, buys, and sells, and, and there were. Yeah, we pay cash, and the cash was better than a check. Even the cashier's check, cash was was the best. You know, it maybe it was inconvenient to hang out to it, and you had to go to the bank at the end of the day with it. But you were happy to get it if you made change for it. You know, it was no big deal. Well, at the end of the day, why why is uh, I'm not so sure wiring the money is all that safer than no. a cashier's check. I mean, Audrey said that she's heard of it. Fortunately, she hasn't had anywhere. People are waiting for the wire, and somebody somebody snags the wire. Yep, I've, I've seen that happen. It's or it's just, it's just delayed. You got people sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the, the electronic you know signal, and you know that isn't you know particularly efficient either. <laughs> well, John, well we got before the break, but to take the rest of the time here, Mike. You've, you've met some of the the creatures I hang around with once in a while down downtown after work, and uh, a couple of guys work in the mortgage service industry, where they. Uh, the, you know, they end up with a lot of the bad ones, but the good ones too. I mean, if somebody has a, a say, you know, 500 mortgages, they'll hire these guys to service them, and there's a rate for it. It's a competitive rate. Uh, I don't, I'm, I think the, uh, the Fed probably just uses the big banks and I'll say pays them non-competitive rate, but that's just a guess. Uh, but these guys got some amazing stories about, one guy tells me that a dude calls him up from, and, and these guys absolutely know. And, uh, there, you know, some of these guys, I think these guys gotta be service. I think they even have to be registered, be a mortgage servicer. I, who you register with, I have no idea, but one of the guys is registered in like 40 states and he can tell you the exact, all the rules and housing in, in virtually 40 states. I mean, this guy's an encyclopedia of it. And, uh, it's like you with the law here, real estate law and title law. I mean, it's everybody's got their spot where they're really good. And he, 
<laughs> this one guy calls him up and he goes, uh, the Biden administration is, uh, says you don't have to pay because of COVID. I get another six months, uh, whatever. I don't have to pay. I don't have to pay my mortgage. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't owe it. It means what's, what do they call it? What's the word there? Uh, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to pay for six months, even though, it, you know, it's yeah, not like it's free. Yeah, more time. My buddy says to him, what do you care? You haven't paid in five years. <laughs> I think I, because. <laughs> the first time you're living, you're living legal. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had a check since you bought the place. It's been, how, how does, how does that, how does it, how, how smooth is, it seems to me that the kickout process is, uh, is, is, is really, I think it's, it, it does, does it work, Jen? These people seem to live there forever if they don't pay. If you do it right, if you know, if you know the, if you know the buttons to push. Well, that became pretty easy in, you know, in the last two years. Um, we, we encouraged a lot of behavior like that and got, got people, you know, used to the idea that, well, I don't pay this month, I don't pay next month, who cares? <laughs> well, I know, uh, I mean, some, some of, uh, Audrey's mentioned and a lot of her friends in, in, in the real estate business want absolutely no part of the rental business now. They don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to touch it. The things you can say, you can't say, and all the other different kind of weird stuff. Uh, you know, you can't say what parish it is, you can't say what school's around, you can't, you can't even say what, I mean, if you say one of those things wrong, I mean, you, you're, you're getting sued, there's people that are just running around suing everybody. And, uh, you know, it's, she wants, I mean, I mean, she's still doing some, but I think she's real selective. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really a game of gotcha everywhere. And, uh, the idea of, you know, there's, I mean, there used to be really redlining. I mean, you and I know what redlining is. Uh, and this isn't, I don't think today there's anything like that, but, uh, but if you mention this school versus that school, or you, if somebody says, uh, what, you know, what's the, uh, makeup of the neighborhood? She said, the interesting part is there used to be a, uh, a, a realtor.com site where if somebody said, what are the schools like? What's the makeup of the neighborhood? You would say, you, you could say, well, you should go to this site and do your own research. Right. And, uh, now, evidently, the site folded up. The Realtor.com. Yeah, it had, it had cross-references for police statistics. Yeah. You, know, you could see what the violent crime rate or how many sex offenders were living in the neighborhood. Yeah. Everything. That was all data you would, you would think you'd be entitled to have. Um, there's nothing, you know, under the table about any of it. But, you know, how many people, Tom, if they have kids and, you know, they're looking for a place to live, don't put at the top of their list the district that they're going to have to send their kids to right. before they put money down on the house. And you know, trying to find that out is not that easy, even in a good year or, or a good part of the country. And now it's harder than ever. And yet these are decisions that will make or break you and your family in your eyes. And and you should be able to make these decisions based on where your kids are going to go to school or what your, where your taxes are going to support whatever institution. And, boy, they make it... So you, how dare you even ask these questions? Well, I mean, <laughs> what business is that of yours? You know? Yeah, how, how pompous are the people that make these rules when their kids probably go to private school? Of course, and uh, you know, and yet they do. I mean, does anybody, you know, does anybody want, you know, Dad Frank telling anybody what to do about anything? I mean, well, the reason we were able to sell my mother's house in, in Beverly when you know, she passed away. Um, the, the buyer wanted a house in the Kellogg School District, which, you know, the boundary was 97th Street. If you look north of 97th, you went to Kellogg. If you went to, 
University of South America, 17 went to Sutherland. Both good schools, but these people wanted to send their kids to Kellogg. Well, I would really and that was, that was the reason we had a sale. You know, yeah, I'd really was, Whatever the house was, but it was the fact that it was in this district, and, you know, given how these districts work, that information should be open and available, but it ain't. Well, I'm, I'm going to say Kellogg is probably one of the top schools in the city for grammar school. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you really were interested in, in sending your kid to a good public school, you would confine your real estate search to, the, to that district and not waste your time going to something where you find out later, Pew, if only we'd moved across the street, we wouldn't have these issues. Right, but you can't, but the, uh, you can't say that. You can't say that, Tom. You can't even, you know, make it look like you're taking that into consideration, though. That's the insanity. Yeah, well, I mean, you can have it help you if you're a real estate person. Uh, you know, in his, in his rental stuff, I mean, the, the what's what's the Chicago lease now? 20, 20 pages, fifteen pages, some huge number like that. I mean, it's right. all right. It, it's it's it, lead paint. Well, I mean, the, the crazy stuff that's that's you know put on landlords and that you're putting them on the hook for and giving you know somebody else a, a pass on this stuff. To me, it's like, well, how do you make money in, in real estate unless you've got a whole network of data diggers? Who can go around and, and find this stuff out for you before you ever really invest in a property? And, and it, it's still possible, of course, to make money, but it's it's harder than ever to make strategic purchases. I think. What? Um, and you just get saddled with all this inefficiency, and the landlords are the ones that have to kind of you know they're holding the bag at the end if they didn't make the right decision. Why would they got tenants that are, are bad apples from the get go? Um, you, you re- the deck is really you know landlord tenant law has always been slanted towards landlords as I think it, it has to be, but you wouldn't know from the way business is conducted today is, is the tenants that seem to get most of the power. Why is the? Uh, I mean, back when I was a youth, it always seemed like people always said, "Well, I really just like a a nice six unit apartment building, and I can live in one of the tenants and one of them and then five people." I, I would I wouldn't want that. <laughs> At all, Chad. It's like, I mean, I just, I, I want no part. It's like, as you know, I don't mind going out and having a, a sip of a cold one with somebody. I never want to open a bar either. What kind of trouble is that? I don't want to deal with something drunk at two in the morning. I just, I, just, I you know. Who's, who's looking out for the people like you and me? <laughs> That's right. Who's, who's like, hey, when we come back, I was, was going to hit, hit up you, you uh, conservative guys. Um, this, this bill that's ra- rocketing through Congress. Why, why do the, why does the Republican, I mean, I'm gonna lob this out there and you can fight with me after the break. Uh, why does the Republican Party constantly, why do they think that the board system in this country is working and they keep wanting to take shareholder power away from the executives? What is that all about? What, what is it about the Republicans? They don't see the same thing I'm seeing. Just saying. I mean, I, in terms of, uh, the, to me, the board system is broken. I mean, look at Elon, Elon Musk. The guy's got more stock now than when he had to sell how many billion dollars last year. The guy controls the board. I mean, am I the only person that sees that? I mean, that that's not the way it's supposed to be working for 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 public shareholders. Just saying, I, you know. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. SP futures up nine seventy five. Nasdaq futures up sixty one. A nice start to the week here so far. Be right back, stocks and jacks. This self directed trading is a lonely job. 
Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, one dollar for equity options, and one dollar minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI Pro Direct can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI Pro Direct: cheap prices, along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Hello, Mopex, Dr. Jack. I'm Tom Allen. Matt Byrne on the board. Jan Flanagan hanging with me. SP futures up 875. NASDAQ futures up 59. Uh-huh. Jan, I'm just, uh, I did my, my rant here. I don't know why I need a rant on a Monday morning, but I got one going here with this, uh, I mean, everybody's in love with this Tesla. Of course, I'm not. Uh, here's an article from, uh, June, July 26, 2021. So not that long ago, last summer. And, uh, this was a, a quarterly earnings. This is from The Verge, or the hell that is. Um, Tesla sold enough cars and energy products to turn a profit, even without counting the sale of emissions credits to other automakers. A milestone for the company. This was the eighth profitable quarter in a row for Tesla, but the first where it could truly say that it's a profitable automaker. Tesla shared Monday, this is last July, uh, 26th, that it logged a $1.1 billion profit in the second quarter, of 2021, with 354 million of that coming from credit sales. The rest came from automotive sales, well, the boost in energy storage sale. Uh, they pulled us off despite taking a loss of 23 million. And it's big Bitcoin bet. Now, again, I mean, what 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 would you do, Jan, if you were? I mean, granted, this guy's larger in life. What what would you do if you're on the board of a company that makes widgets, meaning you know? Uh, could be anything, cars, you know, rockets, whatever Tesla, these guys. Yeah. I mean, it could be anything, Teslas. And the guy comes in and says, "I want to, I want to spend four billion on, on Bitcoin." My first reaction is, "What, what are you even talking about? What, 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 why? Just because you get a hair up your behind, 
Well, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I'm not approving that. Of course, I'd have to resign that morning. But why would people go along with that? I mean, what what is that even? Why would anybody in that board entertain them buying a, a chunk of Twitter? I mean, this is this is not his personal ch- stock account, is it? It's not. He's not a conglomerate like uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. And it's not what they do for. I mean, we're talking about for every single quarter before that, these guys are selling three to four hundred million dollars of, of uh, credit to other automakers. That's where they made all their dough. I mean, what, what, what is wrong with this picture, John? What, why, and plus, I mean, if you took the entire environmental inta- impact of all the batteries to make them and dispose of them, I'm not so sure that a gas car from General Motors isn't better for everybody. I think it's, it's, it's patently more efficient and cheaper and better for the environment. Uh, just as a matter of policy. I mean, but, well, look, look at how these boards are chosen and how they, you know, people step to the plate and how they, they get these plum appointments, which are, you know, heavily compensated. Um, what, what goes into the decision to form a board? Uh, what do you do to keep your position on it? And what, what kind of power do you really have as a board member on any board? And, you know, you can, I'm sure, answer that question better than I can. I have my, my own concerns about it. But it's an abused system in my book because you get a bunch of psychophants running these places and they're beholden to each other's narratives or their version of the truth or whatever else you know, they think their business is all about. And it has nothing to do with shareholders or real ethics or anything else. It's all about protecting an inner circle of people who are there to protect each other. Well, I was on a very small one, the CBOE board. Uh, you know, big enough place, but... Uh I was a floor electee, uh, and you end up, I mean, <laughs> there's a few things I learned, John. First of all, I could, I could absolutely torpedo if somebody called me and said, hey, aren't this guy Flanagan? Uh, yeah, why? Why? Was he in jail? No. Uh, <laughs> the, I would, they'd say, well, we're thinking about John for the, uh, the board of, uh, Ford Motor Company. Well, he gave us, he was a reference. I could torpedo you in a second. All I'd have to do is say, Oh, Jan, he's terrific. You never have to worry about him forgetting who he, that he always works for the shareholders, and you can absolutely ex- expect him to, expect him to be prepared for every meeting and read everything you send him. They want no part of you. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, I just said a lot of nice things about you, didn't I? Right. Well, those things aren't valued on a lot of boards, Tom. Maybe most boards, for all I know. Well, what what do you get? I mean, you get something like the solid gold Cadillac or. You know, some Judy Holiday movie where you have people in revolt against the fat cats. <laughs> That's well, not what the fat cats are looking for. No, I mean, I mean the idea that the, the, I mean, you ever read, read the book, uh, was actually a good, Matt, have you ever heard of this one, Up the Organization? Yeah. No, I can't say I have. It was when, way back in the day, when, when Avis, well, this is a long time ago, John, when Avis Renekar, yeah, Avis Renekar was, uh, they were number. They were number two. Hertz try harder. They, yeah. We always try harder because we're number two. And they somehow or another they got they got bought by somebody. And the chairman, who by anybody's stretch was did a brilliant job there, worked for like I'm a matter of weeks for the new organization. Said screw it and left. Uh, and he wrote a book called Up the Organization. Hmm. And he was talking about in an ideal world, the, the 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 job of the board is to hire and fire the chairman. Basically, you let the other people run the place. If you don't like what they're doing, you fire the guy. Well, if if he picks all the people, then that becomes very convoluted. 
said you should actually the, the the chairman should be like introduced to his next board member, not him pick him type of thing. And it gets to the point where even on the SIBO board, you want people that are there that make more money than you, right? So every raise is an automatic approval. And every time you get a raise or a new country club membership or something, that becomes the new... Remember when, they, when, a, when the CBOE, he's gone now, uh, hired Bill Bratsky. The guy comes on and they say, well, you know, he uh, the going thing now is is three country club members, three club memberships. And I'm going, really? <laughs> and the thing that was a big kicker, plus we because we're giving them all this money and stuff now, part of the thing now for, for guys like this, okay, now... It used to be two club memberships, and as soon as somebody got three, well, then they all got to have three. But the people who do this are these compensation firms that will never get hired anywhere if they don't tell a person you're underpaid, right, John? I mean, you're, you're going to be overpaid. Right. You know. That's if they ever tell you you're overpaid, that's not going to happen. So so they, we, they gave the guy ten grand to do it for, for his taxes every year, back when ten grand was a lot of money. This is, you know, in the 90s. So I say, wait a minute. We're giving, we're giving a guy so much as though he can't afford to pay his own taxes, so we gotta pay for that? Why don't we just give him less? <laughs> but, but that's why you never want some dumb kid from the South Side on a board, right? Because, it, because you don't want that no vote and any of this stuff. And, no. I, it, and, and all of the, the do-goodism or whatever term you want to apply to the, to the, you know, restrictions in California, you know, for public corporations boards, where you have to have this ethnicity or this racial group or this sexual identity group represented on your board is to me just, you know, another example of the same kind of hogwash. It's, it's just a way of hiding the fact that these boards really you know, have a limited function. It doesn't matter what their race is or if they're two-headed or anything else. They're there for pretty much only one reason, to do somebody else's bidding and to protect yeah. each other. And you can find people of that stripe everywhere you look, but the fact that they come from these underrepresented groups doesn't mean you get a better well, board. It means you, you're just lying to everybody else about the board you think you you know are, are putting together, and it isn't at all what it appears to be. It's not a fairly chosen group. It's not a, a particularly honest group in my book either. It's just people who match the profile of what you're trying to sell. And you know, ethics just goes completely out the window. It's all about loyalty, and not loyalty to anybody but themselves. Well, the uh, when this this is a long time. Well, I'm going to say this has got to be 15 years ago, Jan. Uh, when the whole idea of having the racially mixed board, and by the way, I'm, I'm not against that at all. But when you look at the practicality of it, when it first started, there was a lady who I think was, I mean, she, you know, no dummy, and I'm not saying anything wrong about her. She was, was she the head of NYU or something like that? Um, so I mean, it's not like she, you know, was a dopo at all. She clearly was not. Uh, she ended up, I, I think it was NYU, but there's a lot of colleges in New York. It was either NYU or some other place there. And, uh, I think she was on, the 15 boards? Or 12 or some 10, some, some huge number. Now, just in terms of, I don't care how bright you are, you could be, uh, Solomon, and there's no way you, you do the job you're supposed to be doing, and oh, by the way, spend the time to be on multiple boards at the same time. I don't see how, I mean, being on the one board I was, and it was in the building where I worked, uh, there's no way I could have been on two or three of them and still had my business, you know, and, and done a decent job at any of it. Uh, so I don't see how. And then there was a an African-American couple that they were very, very well educated. I'm sure very bright. If we went out to dinner with them, we'd love it. Uh, the two of them, they were on like 
10 or 15 boards apiece. They were like the, if you wanted an African American on your board, you pick one of these two and a couple. And I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing, Jan, if I, I'll, I'll bet you one dollar, uh, Randolph, uh, or five dollars, what it was, uh, the, uh, it was one dollar in, 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 uh, trading places, right? And, uh, yeah. um, I'll bet you they never didn't vote for a raise ever. Either one of them. That's, that's the kind of stuff that, or anything that the chairman wanted to do, or the chairman wanted to increase his, his uh, you know, whatever, his health care, his pension, he always voted yes. Because he's our guy. You know, and it, and, and the idea, once you pick a chairman, the idea that he might be like a really bad, the guy better kill somebody before you let him, you're ever gonna say, I mean, these are people, What's the what's the social? Where's our where's our buddy Doctor Doctor Johnson? We need him. There's there's like a a group like that. It's not just the individual people that you know think they're pretty much hot bleep because uh, they're board members. The the collective uh, hubris. If, if you don't if you, if you never felt it in the room, you never uh, you have to you have to you have to be there to feel it. How's that for a way of saying it? In other words, if we picked, uh, you know, Matt Byrne to be the CEO of a place, our group collectively, Matt Byrne had better go rape and, and shoot 48 people before somebody's got to come in from the outside and said, you idiots, you picked the wrong guy. Sure did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but the, the, <laughs> thought, the, thought of, the thought of that surfacing from the room, because that group individually and collectively is never going to admit a mistake ever it got help you if you hired a look at the lady at, how bad did that lady blow up yahoo that was her name the one who, who, who uh, oh uh marissa meyer yeah the one who was oh man i mean i mean she I mean, I, did, I mean could anybody have done a worse job they, they couldn't get her out of there and then they kept paying her because they they could yeah. never admit after she destroyed the place. Yeah, they could never admit that they hired a very attractive blonde lady, gave her a boatload of dough, and she did a piss poor job. And oh, by the way, they just kept they just kept propping her up, saying she's doing a good job. The the, the stock is trading for what zero or not zero, but pretty damn close. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it, not it's not like if it was a guy, it'd be the same way. Well, he's our guy. We picked him. He must be good. Well, but, but look at the guy. <laughs> he's not doing squat, right? I mean, uh, they gave a Hewlett Packard, uh, what's her name? She was gonna run for president. And she's, she, I'm not saying she did a bad job, but they gave her more money the day she got hired. We're going back, you know what I'm talking about. She retired a while ago. Carly Fiorina? Yeah, Carly They gave her more money the day she, she got hired than whoever the guy was that had been there like the eight years before. In total. So, that group is never gonna say at the end of six months, wow, this Carly Fiorina lady, She's terrible. It, it, I don't think she was, by the way. Uh, I think she actually did a pretty good job. But, but, uh, but if she if she was horrible, that group's not getting rid of her, right? I mean, it's just oh no, this is it's a, it's a protection racket. Yeah. <laughs> no, if, if you think that a, a board is supposed to be a, a form of checks and balances, and to keep a, you know thinking even headed. And that you know, you represent different viewpoints, or different parts of the country, or different you know, gender. But there's all sorts of reasons why you can convince yourself that these people are here to speak for constituencies, and it's somehow after all these constituencies 
get together, we're going to come up with the most amazing decisions. And that's kind of the, the, the diversity you know, game in a nutshell, that by getting all of these opinions in the same room, eventually the right thing will be done. Well, only if those people really have some independence and can speak freely and aren't there because not what, what their ethnicity is, but because they've already sold their souls to somebody somewhere in the company. And until they revoke that deal, they're perfectly okay. We don't want to hear what your constituents think. We don't really care if you have constituencies. We'd like people to think we're representing constituencies and we're so open-minded, but, but it's all a complete you know, shadow game and it has nothing to do with reality. It's, it's everything to, to do with you know, buffaloing the public. Do you think uh, Elon Musk even ran this 9% purchase of Twitter by his board? Or is he so arrogant to even do it? Why would he, why would he bother? Well, there probably is a there probably is some sort of a in, in, I, mean, I mean, you're not a corporate lawyer, but uh, I have to believe somewhere in the the charter of Tesla, there's some limit on spending the chairman can do without a board approval. It's, it's got to be, it's got to be below. Right. What if, you, if you don't like it, you resign, which you know, doesn't look good. But I think you know, Elon Musk can sustain that kind of bad press. But well, it, it, is somebody really going to take it upon themselves to, you know? counter him to, to put down their foot and say no and expect you know to get up the next morning and have that job I don't think so well, what if, well, let's make it a two part question what if anything over a million bucks and I'll bet I'll bet every corporation has something like this that, that a chairman can approve on his own a million bucks ten million whatever, whatever the size of the place I mean there's going to be I mean, if there's a if there's a I, mean, I don't know if you ever if you never worked for a corporation of course this is a while ago I did but there's going to be, say, say you're the purchasing manager of Tesla. Uh, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, sign a fasteners contract for for half a million dollars or something. You, you're you're going to have some signing power. If you decide to change the person you're going to buy the tires from, from say Goodyear, Goodyear to Goodrich on the tires that come on the thing, that is now a I'm going to say probably a billion dollar deal over the next year. I'll bet you need, uh, you know, VP slash Elon Musk approval. If it's ten billion, I bet that that goes in front of the board. Look, we're changing from Goodrich, who we've had forever, to Goodyear or Firestone, whatever the hell you're using. I mean, I'll bet there there every company has those kinds of pecking orders. I I, I think. I mean, they they used to. So I mean, at some point, if it's you know two billion dollars, uh, there's two questions for Elon. First, did you run it by the board? And if you didn't, it says right here you had to. Uh, and, in question, and if he didn't, would they would they take that up with him? Hey, bleep! What are you doing? Saying you're doing this without running it by us? Or if he did, was there a no vote? Or if you no vote to the guy, have to resign? It's like a two part deal. But I don't know the answer. I'm just kind of speculating. Well, you know, I, I think at one time there was this is a very different system, and I've noticed this even time from looking at old Perry Mason episodes, which, you know, you can get on IMDb TV now for your charge. You can stream every season of Perry Mason. At the time I was, I was watching these when they were fresh, I didn't understand any of the stuff that was a subject for a lot of these homicides. But I'm, but I'm amazed now when I go back yeah. and just watch a string of these episodes, how many of them have to do with corporations with divided boards and how you got some struggle between this arm of the company and this arm of the company, and people are murdering each other to get the result they want. But it's because the boards are 
are set up in such a way and, and are meant to function as combative organizations. That there are struggles. There are people with very different viewpoints, and there's people with voting strength and people with voting weaknesses. And sometimes they resort to extreme measures to get their, you know, objectives. But that's kind of ancient history. Now, I don't think that's how boards really now are composed. Nobody would want a board like that. Nobody would want to be on, on such a board. You'd want a board where nobody really ever took a, a position contrary to what the person at the top wanted, and you knew that you owed your livelihood and your compensation to that person, why are you going to cross them unless you, you just want to fall on your sword in the process? So it's a completely different kind of conception now, and, you know, there's, a, there's a, something to be said that it would be better if there were some desperate struggles on these boards that you might actually get a lot of the stuff aired and understand exactly what's at stake. Instead, you're trusting somebody with some charisma and some star power to make decisions for everybody else. And, you know, that, that isn't a, a recipe for success either. John, there is no greater, I hate to say this because, um, you know, you and I are uh, approaching this age, but there is no, great, no greater uh, dose of Viagra for some dude who used, used to be something and is now retired and once, once a quarter or once a month you know, says that a wife packs his suits and says, "Honey, I'm still, I still got it. I'm going to New York for a, a board meeting with XYZ Corp. By the way, I'm flying first class. They're putting me up in the nicest place, and uh, well, everything's on them for the, the the night, the meeting before the board, where they take me out somewhere, and the next day, and then of course I fly. They it, it, even if it the the salaries were never that huge. Sometimes you got, no. I mean, let's say hundred grand a year, hundred and fifty. You know, which for Seems like a lot of dough, and I wouldn't mind, you know, doing one of those. And uh, but uh, it's for for General Motors. I don't know what it is now. I mean, I'm talking about for a long time they were there was like a board stipend. You didn't get a salary. You weren't an employee, right? So, right. But th- just the idea. And a lot of times, what you do is if, if ever you wanted to fly anywhere, the company might have uh, all kinds of you know United tickets. So as long as they bought you and the wife the ticket wherever you went, you went first class because you're. You know, whatever the, the company's travel department's getting you your air. They're not maybe not. You know, they'll they'll get you the upgrade. They'll do you this. Uh, not that they're paying for all, but it's it really is an amazing way to to fly into the sunset <laughs> to be on one or two of these boards because the neighbors still see you heading in a suit, you know, twice a month. And gee, our John still still must have it, even though he looks to me like he's drinking a beer in the yard the rest of the time. You know, but look at the people he's he or she's sitting at the table. With. Yeah, yeah, man, he, he flies yeah. in a yeah, and you're going to the nicest places, and the board meeting might be at some, you know, incredible resort or something right. twice a year. So it's a it's a real it's a massive ego stroke. It's a rush. Yeah. So yeah, so it's really hard for you to be sitting in the midst of the the Phoenician and all of a sudden say, uh, Matt, you want to double your salary? Screw you! I'm voting against that. It's not going to happen. I'm tired of all this filthy lucre. Yeah, I'm tired of I'm tired of all this. Your your bloody Mary, sir. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I just don't think you're going to have those kind of, you know, moments on no. those boards. They're going to think, oh, I want to go home in first class, too, so I better sh- shut my mouth until I get home. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll be kicking me out, or they'll, they'll give you a bill for the tab in this which I don't really feel like paying. All right, John, we got seven minutes. I'm going to talk to Nancy some about uh, mortgages and stuff for, uh, you know, um, houses. But if you can, walk us through 
the, the good and bad, like if the economy were to turn back up, the good and bad, let's pick a building, 175 West Jackson. There was the one that was in all the papers. Basically got kicked back to the lend, uh, lenders. Kicked, no, it got kicked back to the lenders. The guy said, look, the $40 million I put in, I'm just out. I'm out of here. Uh, whatever it was, $30 million, 50. Now it's back to the lenders. Now I'm going to say this from a, a Luddite talking. The good news would be if the if the mortgage or the the debt is 150, you or I walk up to the guy and say, "Hey, look, uh, we're willing to buy the place for 140. You take a, a you know hit a 10. We think we can make a go of it there. We'll give it a shot." Uh, bad news is that doesn't happen. I mean, also though, John, I'm even like 440, uh, the building that we used to have offices in, the one just south of the Cebo, what used to be the Cebo. Uh, it's now 425, by the way. They changed the address. That didn't change much. I'm going to say they're on their third or fourth owner. It's not all that unusual for the guy who built the place uh, with pie in, you know, the pie-in-the-sky eyes size, size that all of a sudden the rents after five years aren't what they thought they were going to be and for them to have trouble. It, it isn't unusual for the third owner to be the one that actually hangs on to the place for 30 years and does well. I mean, kind of walk us through how... How does that? I mean, are these guys right now? Would they entertain an offer if you and I walked in with a checkbook? They wouldn't. It's got to go through a procedure. Well, for, how does that all work? The lender who's taking the property by a deed in foreclosure would be thrilled because uh, in, yeah, they, they've already had to take a write down on their loan probably to get the deed in foreclosure because the, the, per, the borrower is distressed and can't perform on the loan. So very likely, you know, they're, they're going to have to take it as a loss. They end up with the asset, so anything they make back on also, it now also is they... going to offset whatever they're in the hole for. And they're not really, most of them, in the business of managing property for, you know, six months or a year if they can avoid it. They want, it's a paper transaction for them. They want the money to come in with the interest every month. All right, back up, uh, happens, you know, John, back up so here. They have to resort to desperate measures, but they don't want to be there. They take your, your offer, even if we're a couple million, tens of millions less, just to get it off their books. Well, back up a second. Matt, Matt, Matt Burns, the owner. You and I are the lenders. Uh, so Matt plunked the, paid two twenty for the place. He got a loan for one seventy five, and we're holding the one seventy five. And you might have had a a beer with him or a cup of coffee where he said, you know, this place isn't working out so hot. But you don't really have a you have some kind of idea that things aren't going well. Plus the COVID, nobody in the building gives you a little bit of a clue. Uh, all of a sudden, one day he goes, "By the way, you're not getting a check this month. You're never getting a check." I'm out of here. Well, you still, now the place, you've got a $175 million loan to nobody, but really, he's missed one payment. I mean, what, accounting-wise, what can you take off at that point? Not that much, can you? I mean, what do you do? No, I mean, Illinois foreclosure, at least, you know, residential properties, if you if you miss a payment, um, you're, you can cure that default, and you come up with the payment, you know, in so many days, and cure all the defaults, so any fees or taxes that have been paid on your behalf, if you can make it come current, it, the loan just resumes its normal timetable. But w- w- the second time you default, the whole loan is accelerated, and you have to either, you know, sell, somehow refinance, but, the, but the, you know, the time is, is against you at that point, and, you know, you're not going to get a second chance to, to just cure the default. You've got to pay the whole damn thing. And it, a lender that is looking at a property that they say you had hundred, you know, hundred million dollar mortgage on a property when it was valued at two hundred million, and now because you've lost all the major tenants in that building, it's valued at you know ninety million. So you, you're in the hole for that ten million. Um, it doesn't really matter whether you own it 
or somebody else owns it, you're losing money um, because it, it, when push comes to shove, you can't get your money back on it when you go to sell it. So you, you, your idea would be cut your losses, sell it quickly, take the, the losses. This, you can't make it better. At least you'll get $90 million out of it, you hope. But, you know, in a, in a market like this where there's so many properties facing the same outcome um, and there's a dearth of businesses that want to open businesses downtown or sign long-term leases in an aging building, you're looking at buildings that have had their values slashed. So there's, you know, a lot of these are underwater by, you know, our standards. They, they would, you know, not be able to yield the loan balance if they had to be sold quickly. So there's a so difference between, um, uh, Matt saying, this is a rough couple of years, I'm going to miss a few payments, but oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still in this game and, and we'll, we'll, We'll turn around, but you got to you got to give me some help for a while. And, and for Matt saying, "Look, I tried everything I could. I'm out. See my office over there. It used to be my office. It's cleaned out. I'm going to Tahiti. See ya." There's a difference between those two workouts. Yeah, see ya. Yeah, see ya. Like, well, I mean, the special servicing, you know, the, 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 where you would try to, you know, negotiate a settlement with a, a lender and, and a borrower who just can't perform anymore. Um, and you may be able to soften the blow for the borrower. So if, if there were a deficiency, you know, if you owed more than the building was now worth, the lender could, you know, give you a break on that or walk away from it. Um, and, you know, you part company, you're out that money because you've, you've lost your asset. Um, and the bank now has a piece of property they really don't want at all. And it's worth, worth less than they have invested in it too. So in some ways you have losers on both sides of the table. And the system is, is designed to work only if there's buyers waiting to kind of keep the cash flowing through this market and make these properties end up in the hands of people who are willing to put money into them to keep them from collapsing and to try to go out and find paying, you know, tenants for them. Jim, one last, we only got 30 seconds. One, one last question. I think it's probably yes or no answer. I think I already know what it is. What, in 175, I mean, I know the people who ran it, so I have sort of, I won't say insider information, but I have some information. And one of the reasons why the rents were going up to the point where a lot of people were leaving uh, is because the city kept jamming more taxes on them. Now, what happens now? I mean, obviously, they're not. The city can't expect to get the paycheck that they did two years ago, or do they? Oh no, no, not, no. Because the loss in, in you know tax on on a building that isn't you know leased you know up to you know sixty or seventy percent is huge. It's a huge hit to the city. And if, if the taxes go into default, you're looking at the county with a hole in the tax bill, too. Oh, so it's a big issue. All right, Ben, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Have a good week. If I don't see you between now and then, SP Futures down 7, NASDAQ Futures down 41, still up, not as much as we were. Be right back. Miss Nancy. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits 
food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Mom, Mr. Matt Byrne on the board. We have Ms. Nancy Long Graham with us here in a second. She's an American portfolio mortgage, but until then, we got to do stocks around the world here. Uh, we've got S&P futures up 9, NASDAQ futures up 48. We're down last night, but it looks like we're heading north here at the moment. Uh, Dow futures up 27. That's, uh, individual stacks. We've got, uh, let's see, CVX up 123, because oil's up a little bit. We've got, uh, American Express up 83 cents. We've got McDonald's down two and a quarter for some reason. Microsoft up a buck twenty-one. Big news is Twitter is up eight dollars because Elon Musk Group has taken a nine percent uh, stake in Twitter, nine and a half percent stake in Twitter. I'm not sure exactly why, other than to his face on TV. Who knows? But we're in Europe. That's that's a, that's a shot. Dax up nine bucks. Call that flat. Footsie up two bucks. Call that flat. Ekron up eight. Call that flat. So if you're if you're trading in. Uh, in Europe today, you're yawning. Um, so that's not a bad thing. Uh, Dow on Friday was up 139, S&P up 15, Nasdaq up 40. So to the upside, but moderately. Over in Asia today, we've got mainland China closed. DK is up 70.2%. Hang Seng is up 462. That's 2%. Uh, the tech, tech stocks are jumping there, which are, they're jumping here, they're jumping there, depending on what the SEC and, and China are doing with them. It's kind of a, I don't know if you want all those things, but. Well, you better. They're not for the faint of heart. Let's put it that way. Uh, Ten-year up to uh, two point three eight unchanged. 
Bond minus, or not minus, minus seven basis points for a positive point four nine. Japan unchanged at point two one. Oil. Oh, up two forty four, back over hundred bucks. That's why CVX is up hundred one seventy one. It was under hundred last time we did this an hour ago. Brent up two bucks, one hundred six forty. Natural gas up eight cents, five eighty. Arabab up four cents, three nineteen. And I'm going to report I was four seventeen for gas yesterday. And last week I was four thirty four. So I'm seventeen cents to the good, Matt. What do you think for the suburban uh, gold up eleven ninety nineteen thirty five. Keeps getting up near that 1950. Can't seem to break through. I wonder if it's going to make it to 2000 this year. We'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, silver up 18 cents, 24.84. Copper up 5 cents, 4.74. And last but not least, our Bitcoin's down 4.27, but still high, 46,057. What do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning, everyone. Currently 7.36 a.m. on April 4th, 2022. First in sports, uh, the biggest news, NCAA Final Four. Villanova loses to Kansas 81-65, to and North Carolina beats Duke 81-77. to The final game tonight, uh, North Carolina versus Kansas, 8.20 p.m. Central. Uh, weather currently in Chicago, cloudy. Sun's starting to come out a little bit, uh, 46 degrees, high of 51, and a low of 37. Phoenix, partly cloudy, 63 degrees, high of 88, and a low of 64. Now onto the traffic of today. Settle in because it's it's messy out there. Uh, traffic eastbound that is in Howard between Wolf Road and First Avenue. It's caused by an accident uh, at Fifth Avenue. Reported at 5:55 a.m. Uh, traffic picks up again at Harlem all the way to downtown. Traffic westbound that is in Howard between Laramie and Ninth Avenue. It's caused by an accident before Fifth Avenue. Traffic uh, eastbound Kennedy between Lee Street and Cumberland. That's caused by a four-vehicle accident uh, before Cumberland. Uh, uh, it's reported at 7:02 a.m. and picks up again at Harlem and Lawrence. Traffic westbound the Kennedy between Lawrence and LeClaire to North Nagel Avenue. Uh, uh, Traffic eastbound in Edens between Irving Park and West Fullerton picks up again at North Racine all the way to West Monroe. Traffic westbound the Edens between uh, uh, East 115th Street to South Lafayette Avenue and picks up again at 43rd to West Monroe. Lastly, traffic northbound the Stevenson between Illinois Route 171 and Kedzie. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. Yeah, do we have Nancy? Yes, you do. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, I was doing all right till I, I kicked on the in the internet here, which always manages to piss somebody off. I was mentioning to you yesterday. Boy, oh boy, talk about inflation! I just paid five ninety seven for a, a a bulb for my microwave, an incandescent bulb at uh, at Home Depot, and here they are for a buck and a half online. So I guess I was a pigeon yesterday. Well, you don't know how much you to pay for shipping, or if it's unloaded off that deck yet. Um, true, but I you know when I was there. There's a certain amount of thing with that, but uh, gee, no wonder Home Depot's trading wherever the hell it's trading ninety bazillion dollars. Just saying, they're uh, trading three hundred bucks. You know, I guess they they're, do, they're there for a reason. They get you on the little stuff, right? That's correct. It's uh, you know, nobody likes to be a, a pigeon, as they used to say up at uh, first stop. Where the one guy, Matt, one guy says we may be pigeons, but we're not fish. Well, at least you got that going for you. At least you got that going for you. <laughs> well, I think I might have been a fish on this bulb, just saying. Yeah, possibly. So, look, Nancy, we just talked, and knowing you were going to be on, um, just talked to John Flanagan, who's more, uh, well, he used to teach title classes and so forth, so he knows a real lot about the uh, commercial side of the stuff, and he was talking a little bit about what happens when a building goes kind of under on foreclosure here, because they don't want to wander him into the, some of the other questions they wanted. Is, is he... Um, who de- who determines? Because you were mentioning yesterday some stuff, and I, of course, all I do is get more questions whenever you talk to me. Uh, who determines what 
percentage of somebody's income they can use for their house. Is that something that... Uh, that's, that's the rules of Fannie Mae. And, um, each agency has their own rules. Okay. So um, the, the old rule of thumb was for um, every dollar you made, you could spend um, 28 cents towards your principal interest mortgage insurance and taxes out of that dollar uh, and then your whole total expense monthly payments um, that would be your credit cards your student loans uh, your car loans it would be 36 cents out of that dollar and that's that's been the rule of thumb uh, like since in the 90s however the automated underwriting systems take the credit score into play and what your payment history has been on your credit reports, if you pay on time, and, and how much debt you carry with your credit cards, um, they can go as high on that back end number as, you know, 45 cents on every dollar. So um, the, the ratios really can move around depending on credit, and that's why credit becomes such a big issue in this phase. Because the people who have great credit could the same person buying the same exact house for the same exact dollars. If somebody's got a credit score of six twenty, you're going to get this different price than somebody's got a credit score of eight hundred. And um, and you know somebody at seven hundred is going to get a different price. Six eighty is going to get a different price. You know, it could get a different rating, uh, different interest rate. What? Um, so if because the the twenty eight percent. Somewhat matches up with the, uh, I think the CPI has, uh, um, owner's equivalent rent. It's like 25 to mm-hmm. 28% of somebody's basket. So for once, for once in somebody's life, they sort of match up. I'm not so sure if it's the right number, but at least they match. Right. 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 But, and then that's the other flip side of the coin. If, if a, you know, um, if you're, if you're paying, 2400 rent and you're lowering yourself down to 1600 um, you know then there'll be a huge savings there for for the per, you know the buyer because they're saving eight hundred dollars a month just just there I uh, so. I asked you this and, uh, and I actually the more I and I got you know probably a, a, a very simple but direct answer from you and yet uh, I don't. What I don't understand is the more the more I the more I dig into household, you know, for the for the show, all the research I do on people's household incomes and so forth. The biggest, the biggest Trump card in the room, not Mr. Trump the president, is whether or not somebody is paying their own health insurance and what their deductible is in terms of their ability to pay anything else going forward. And yet, you tell me that that is. A total non-question on any of these forms. How can that even be? Well, what do you do with the person who says they they don't have any health insurance? Well, I, I don't. All I'm saying is, if you you could throw that in the mix, but it, right now it is not in the mix. And if you put it in the mix, then you're going to have to verify. You know, that's another thing you'd have to verify. And what do you do with the person who's not? Health insurance, you know, does not have health insurance. Well, I, 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 put, I, I put them in the same spot as somebody who's got a fifteen thousand dollars deductible. 
I don't know. I you know I don't I don't know what the equity rules would be on that as far as uh, you know. I mean, technically, we're we're all supposed to be health insurance to repay a fine, right? So. Well, I'm, what I'm saying is, is if if you look at all the stats, and you know, you know these better than me, I'm just pointing out stuff that maybe you haven't looked at before. That I, I read that the lion's share. Well, I don't know. The younger people seem to have a different view of this than you and I do. Not that Nancy's old; she's not like me. Uh, but the in our generation. Actually, I can't even really generalize. But for for a while, it seemed like that the the greatest causes of of bankruptcy and credit card overuse and over debt were from an expense that nobody thought they were going to have. They thought something was going to happen, uh, an emergency expense, uh, something that you didn't count on. And most people just didn't go out and run up $30,000 on credit cards on a boat they didn't need and, a, and, a, and, a, and, and you know the best furniture on earth that they've now destroyed. And it, it sort of didn't happen, Nance, at least where you and I grew right. up, that it was somebody who's whose kid broke his leg playing soccer and oh by the by the way the emergency room bill was fifteen grand and his deductible is fifteen grand. That that's kind of what happened. So it seems to me that if you're looking at somebody's risk going forward and it, but and this is not something this has crept up on us. This the single biggest risk going forward for most families, especially if you're in the fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar range, is an un, is uh is a Unexpected hospital expense or doctor expense, correct? I would say so. Yes. So, and you're Absolutely. one of the brightest people I've met. How is it that the people writing these rules are clueless about that? I mean, what? Why won't somebody who's paid all his bills? I mean, I, I would I would give a much bigger mortgage loan to somebody who works for. Oh God, the city would would a three thousand dollar deductible. Than I would work it for somebody who's paying for it himself with a fifteen thousand dollar deductible. But to me, it's not even they're not even on the same planet if they're both making eighty grand a year. Uh, well, they, that's why we're not in charge of writing the rules. See, so if, <laughs> I mean, I happen to agree with what you're saying, but the bottom line is we have a set of rules that we go by, and then that's what you follow. And the um, health insurance, you're right, has creeped up over the years. It is a subject that is never talked about, but as far as I know, if you have a bill that you cannot pay, the unexpected bill, say it's $50,000, you can make a payment on it and set up a payment plan with um, the hospital, and they're supposedly have to leave you alone, and they supposedly are not supposed to be able to report that as bad credit. If um, there's no reason for someone to put it on their credit card, according to the laws that really? I know, okay. you are not um, obligated to. Um, you're just supposed to be able to pay the hospital off, even if it's ten dollars a month. As long as you don't miss your payments, then it, 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 may, it may never get paid off in your payment plan. But that's the way it's supposed to work. Really? What's it? I don't know. That I don't know if that's what's keeping them from you know going there. Or or what? But the, you are absolutely correct. The hospital, unexpected hospital bills, hospital stays, emergency room visits. I mean, the majority of that used to be a benefit and paid by our employer. Yep. That's not happening anymore. No, no. Well, you know the uh, that's just not happening. The, 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 the newspaper when I was at Notre Dame, when people actually were a little more, uh, is the term irreverent. 
they would say that on top of the paper would be administration policy. There's no reason for it. It's just our policy, which is, you know, the true true of most bureaucracies, right? The, uh, right, right. That's just it. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I do know that people feel obligated. I, I, I believe they get hounded by, um, I believe the hospital sells the debt, and then they get hounded um, by um, creditors, and people just get nervous, and they, pay, they put it on their credit card to pay it off. Um, they don't have to do that. No, and people as do. As far as I know. They don't. They don't have to, but people do. Hey, uh, let, let's side over it. Rates are up to 5 plus, right? How, how many yeah. peop, How many people, if, if I'm running around with a, uh, a letter of, what do you, what do you call it, when somebody has a mortgage approval letter? approval letter. If I'm running around with one of those from like uh, uh, February, should I, should I toss it? Absolutely. I mean, your pre-approval letter is only good for... Um, it, it states on there what interest rate you quoted them at, so they need to look at what that rate is on the pre-approval letters. How many people that you deal with uh, between, let's say we've gone from three and a quarter to three and a half to five and a quarter, out of all the people you deal with, how, how many people does that, in terms of percentage, is that now a deal breaker? Where they would have qualified at three and a quarter, and now they're just see ya. Well, I mean, everybody's going to, every, most people uh, that are um, at three and a quarter, I mean, it, it, it absolutely may be like 20% or already, they're just not going to qualify anymore. Probably about 20% are not going to qualify. Have the uh, housing prices reflecting you know, that at all, or are they about to, you think? Pardon me? Have the housing prices reflected that at all, or are they about to? I mean, I don't know how it can't. I mean, something's sooner or later going to give, right? Yeah. But the the housing market is is there's not enough inventory, therefore, you know, it's maybe that's what's holding it up from actually happening. But sooner or later, something's going to give. And investment property and um, second homes are getting hit much harder on pricing than a primary residence. So, if somebody wants, uh, right now, I mean, if, if somebody said, "Well, I, I have a home, and by the way, I just bought this one, and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to flip it," are you going to say, "Wait a minute, <laughs> talk to me first on that one"? Well, yes. I mean, there's flipping rules now. There are just flat out flipping rules. So, okay. you know, now that it, it, it puts everybody doesn't even realize that those rules exist, and that puts everybody into a different class. I mean, there has to be, if you buy a home, like, for instance, if, if you buy a home and you flip it, um, there has to be two different appraisals done, paid for by the seller, and it has to be, um, you know, they have to match. Uh, somebody have to have, the, the buyer has to want it. Um, and then I, I'm pretty sure you can't flip within six months or a year now. There's a time limit on the flip sides. So, okay. And um, F- I, I, I'm pretty sure FHA, it's 120 days before a borrower can even look at it. Really? For a six-month rule. There, there's a, yeah, there's a, time, there's, a timer, there's a timer on it now. The reason I can't exactly pull it off the top of my head is because FHA is different from conventional, and I'm not sure what the difference is. 
but there is a time rule now. Well, so uh, so you can't buy it one week and flip it and you know have it all fixed up in a month and then try and resell it. That doesn't the the buyer will pre- be prevented from getting the financing because of a flip rule. As, well, what if you uh, what if you got if you got a construction loan or a bridge loan? If you were I mean, if you'd done enough of these, to were would you be able to get somebody something that wouldn't be a mortgage? Yeah, somebody could pay cash. I mean, well, that you can always do. But I'm saying, if I yeah, that I can always buy. But most people need need some kind of financing. So you wouldn't uh, so, you wouldn't be able to now if I if I were to say I, I'm I'm just gonna I want to borrow uh, the place is two hundred thousand. I think I can sell it for you know three fifty because it needs a hundred thousand dollars worth of work. Um, where where would I go for that loan? Would I go to the directly to the bank and say yes. you've done this before? Yes, go to the bank for that. That's a that would be a. Um, uh, you know, they would do that separately because now you're you're actually that's more like a um, a construction type loan. Where you might you might you're actually gonna yeah you're actually gonna re- rebuild rebuild the inside of that house. Where you may or may not have to put your house up as collateral, assuming it's paid for, depending on how much your credit rating is and how many of these you've done before and how big your company is. Correct. Yes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, do you do, do you do those so, as well? No, I do not. No, those are usually um, bank products. Okay. So I mean, we can I can actually like give you um, a year lock on a property somewhere if you give me like the state and like, let's say you were going to buy in Florida and, and you didn't know exactly where, but you knew you were going to spend seven hundred fifty thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. I can give you one year lock, but kind of. But you have, you're going to have to put, um, I think one. You have to put a percentage of the sale price down to hold the lock. So okay. I don't. Why would you even want to do that? Well, you, you like to get away from some of the closing costs too. I mean, I always talk. Uh, my uh, then, then girlfriend, still friend, oh, she's been been living in New Jersey forever. Uh, the uh, we 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 got a she was a I said big shot she was in the Pullman Treasury Department so we did one place and so we went out and we found somebody like you actually no in those days you went to the you went to the savings and loan right and we got a mortgage right and uh, so we remodeled that place and made some dough on it right not a lot but we made some so now we're all fired up so we went to this place up on the north side and instead of uh, getting a mortgage because we were, you know you had to pay fees and all the other stuff for the mortgage right. So she was uh, chummy chummy with the it was Harris or Continental was a big shot was one of the lenders to Pullman. So it says you know we were in the business we both had you know reasonable salaries I mean we weren't making that much but the place wasn't that much either. So they, they said okay we'll give you a bridge loan. So we got the bridge loan I I think in a, in November or sometime and answer was about eight percent and it ran with Prime and every uh, I just got laid off from Pullman so I was heading up there and working on a place myself and. You know, it takes a while to do apartment by yourself, uh, and so it took me, you know, a few months to do it. Well, by by, I think by April, our eight percent loan was like fourteen and a half. That's how fast. That's why when when people talk now about how you know if, if there's inflation, the Fed's going to move, you know, a quarter percent a quarter, and that'll be it. And I'm going, boy, <laughs> I've seen those guys lose control before, and it wasn't a quarter percent; it was like one and two percent a month. I mean, who's kidding who? I mean, it, you know, it's ancient history, I know, but somehow ancient history can tend to come back. Uh, 
it, 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 it's, it's, all it has to happen to you, Nance, is once. <laughs> right. It's hard to forget what you know. Yeah. Period. I mean, that's it, right? Like, where I worked back at that time, we had a million dollar business loan and we were being charged 21%, 22% interest. Wow. We had a million dollar line of credit and it was fully used. Not to have to lay anybody off and all these other items went in there and I think we paid a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in interest and never even touched the principal. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, it's scary. Once you know it and you've done it, you can't forget it. Well, and, and you you really better be right on what you're making your widgets or if you're remodeling or whatever. And we ended up selling this place for like the exact price that I thought we would, and I came within like you know real I came within one percent on my budget because none of my own time was included. And when we broke even, and so I was never so happy to break even anything in my life. I mean, because uh, I had run up. Well, then your credit cards were like five thousand bucks, but you could buy a lot of plasterboard and stuff for five thousand bucks in those days. And I, I was able to pay off my credit card, and uh, Robin was too. And uh, she was like three thousand into hers, and you know, I, the, we just got overwhelmed. But then, if interest rates are really high and you have some cash, now is the best time to buy, right? Because the prices are way, but I just did the calculation yeah. of what you could have done in your head, which I didn't. So I'm ahead of you. If uh, somebody's going to get a hundred sixty thousand dollar loan, so a two hundred thousand dollar house, and they have the forty thousand to put down at three point five percent, it's seven thirty six a month, and at five point two, it's eight seventy nine. So it's like a hundred sixty dollars difference, and like two percentage points for one hundred sixty grand. So if, you know if you add that up so it's like almost $300 difference if it's a $300,000 loan right three and a quarter right and that's right. and that's significant um what, what are you guys figuring in uh well the state got some money from the fed but how do you estimate future taxes in Illinois and those kinds of things and insurance costs with the prices of roofs and everything going through the moon is it how much of insur- how much has that stuff gone up in the last year the insurance yeah and homes they've gone up they've really gone up and and um, when you're when you're working with people, I I tell them like, look, try and get like two or three quotes from different people, and, and you know, bundle your cars in and see where you're at because it it plays a huge role. What I don't understand is the foundation. You're not going to replace the foundation, right? I right. Mean, even the house burned to the ground, the foundation is still there. So, you know, why do they keep keep obsessing on that your house is worth? You know, so much repla- more replacement costs, but they're saying it's because everything is so expensive. Well, our our, our combined friend Audrey, I'm going to say that nobody knows the resale side of the business, but I, I hate to say nice things about her, but I will. She's really good at this <laughs> stuff, and uh, but she'll she'll she's told you and I together we've been out having an adult beverage. I showed a house today. A builder built it. He's looking for a million two. The thing is unbelievable, but the upgrades and stuff in there. If it burned to the ground. You couldn't. You couldn't. Re, you couldn't touch rebuilding it for two. You know, I'm smart about that. There's a lot of places like that around. I don't. I just. It's just hard to believe, though. Well, I mean, you put the place and up. Then, and you put it up with five hour plasterboard. Now it's eighteen dollar plasterboard. So you start there. Right. <laughs> Without even talking about right, nice right. faucets and everything. Right. I mean, I got one of my uh, buddies. Real quick, one of my buddies here in, in, uh, in the hood. He's been remodeling places forever, and he goes. Tom, I'll give you one piece of advice. If you ever get in my, in my business, just remember, if you're remodeling a $50,000 house, the plasterboard costs the same amount if it's a million-dollar house. So be careful with the low-end stuff. 
Yeah, why did I ask you when when you got done paying everything off on the slip that you did with Robin? Did you go get another one? Uh, no. <laughs> Well, yeah, but, what I wondered. Well, but, but then I'd trading on the trading floor too, so I had like a real job. So, but uh, no. Um, but all right, this Nance, why don't you give out give give us a self plug? What's your number? Seven zero eight three four one nine six zero one. A shameless self plug, and, and uh, just call you anytime. And uh, and Nance is the best. And uh, but you know, and you hate to say no to people, but lately there's you you've had some people that were a little late in coming up with some stuff and. Uh, the answer is not so hot, right? That is correct. That is correct. You can, you, I mean, you can save the day to a point, and then there's nothing, really a lot more you can do. So I always have to under, understand that when you're telling them you got to stay within this range, doesn't mean you add $100,000 more to the price. <laughs> no, especially <laughs> with the rates going up. As they say on the floor, you snooze, you lose. Uh, Nance, take care of yourself. I'll see you soon. SP Futures up, wow, only 75 cents. NASDAQ up 22, so we've snuck down here almost unchanged. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. We're in deep. Yes, we are in very, very deep.